Welcome to the first ever episode of the new Burnley podcast from the B.O. End. The name of the show, it's no accident, the five of us on this podcast all spent time in our youth, stood on that usually desolate, often rainy and always cold open end, watching Burnley battling away in the lower divisions. We're all born and raised in the Burnley and Nelson areas, although two of us now live in the United States, and all of us in some form or other work in the media or communications. I'm Simon Evans. I'm a sports journalist. I'm from Nelson, but I've spent most of my working life abroad. I just spent five years back home, though, watching the end of our Premier League life under Sean Dash before returning to the United States, just as Vincent Company was starting to weave his magic. There's so much to talk about after such an extraordinary season for Burnley. But before we get into the eulogies, let me introduce the rest of the team. First up, Andrew Greaves, amongst his many, many accomplishments in the media and journalism training, Wrote a Clarets column for the Lancashire Evening Telegraph for many years. Andrew, how are you, mate? Tell us a bit about your life as a Claret. I'm very good, mate. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I've, I've seen us in all four divisions, and I'm, I count myself very lucky that my second season was the season we won the fourth division championship. So, um, as old people often say to young people, I've never had it so good. Excellent, excellent. Uh, next up is a man who will be a familiar name to all Clarets listening to this show for 28 years, I think it was, Burnley reporter and sports editor for the Burnley Express, Chris Borden. Chris, how has it been uh, watching the Clarets as a fan again after all those years in the press box? Yeah, very strange. i got a, I got a sore throat on a Monday morning now because I've been shouting my head off on the, on the weekend. But uh, yeah, it's, uh, I took a few, uh, few months out to just sort of, uh, you know, Get, get, just get back to life as a, in, my, in my new role, really. But uh, yeah, back on the uh, on the stands as and when I can, and uh, hopefully a bit more uh, going forward in the Premier League. Although I imagine tickets might be scarce. Yeah, that's going to be an issue, isn't it? The tickets, especially for the away games, there's hard enough in the Championship. Um, here in America, in the Buckeye State of Ohio, Nelson Ladd and digital marketing guru Paul Woodhouse. Woody, do you have any uh, B-hole end memories? Well, apart from bumping into Justin every now and again, no. But yeah, like Andrew was saying, you know, those those years of uh, shove me and whatnot and you dragging me on uh, with your dad and my fondest memories, as well as like Joe Gallagher's crab runs, you know. So, you know, Vincent Company is a is an infinitely uh, better proposition. Let's put it that way. Yeah, it's really different times, isn't it? Now it, it, is. it is funny when you when when Andrew did the 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 picture of the the B.O. and you send it over and you see it there all those empty spaces <laughs> and stood there watching and you think back to the the kind of football that we saw then and uh, I know it's one of those things, isn't it, that people talk about uh, on chat forums and stuff. Well, I remember when we were at Scarborough away and all that yeah. kind of stuff. But it, it it is a remarkable journey that the club's been on over the last thirty odd years. Um, last, but by no means least, for another former Burnley Express staffer, now with the Manchester Evening News and uh, musician extraordinaire, Justin Connolly. Justin, how are you? Oh, thank you, Simon. I'm very well. Thank you for uh, bringing my music into it. That's much appreciated. Maybe people can check that out uh, after they've listened to this fantastic new podcast. Um, my memories of the of the of the BL end are that it was an absolutely terrible place to watch football. It was cold. It was wet. It was windy. Uh, I remember a guy called Jacko used to need, used to stand near us, used to go and buy a couple of pies at half time to warm his ears for the second half. And what went on what went on underneath that stand, you know, we, we don't want to go there. I've blocked those memories out. 
Yeah, I mean, if I remember rightly, there used to be a thing as well with like, was it 20 minutes to go? People could come on for note in that corner where the where the old uh, security box used to be. Is that right? People used to just wander on, didn't they? Yeah, it was called Freeman's. They used to open the gates to let everybody out, but obviously there was a big queue outside for people to come on for nothing. Yeah. Mind you, the, fo- the football wasn't quite as entertaining then as it has been over the last 12 months, I have to say. Not a lot has, has it, really? So let's get on to that. It has been an extraordinary season for Burnley. It's a brilliant time to start a podcast, really, because we talked about doing this, uh, Andrew and myself and Chris, about uh, about 18 months ago. And I think if we'd have launched it then, we'd have probably spent six months whinging about the end of the Daesh era and, and predicting when exactly we'd get relegated. I don't think it would have been such an upbeat, enthusiastic sort of discussion as we're about to have now. I mean, this season, it, it has been extraordinary when you think back to the circumstances that company faced when he took over. I mean, Chris, the, you know, it seemed like the club was in total chaos when he came in. Hardly any players, a lot of the staff had left. I mean, to turn it around so quickly has been extraordinary, hasn't it? Oh, yeah, unbelievable. I mean, I think uh, if you go back to Burnley's penultimate game last year at Villa, uh and obviously, you know, disappointed not to hold on to the lead, and you know, we'd find out our fate that you know they, you know, had to had to better lead his result on the last day. But uh, I was speaking to some Belgian journalists after that game who were convinced it was uh, it was going to be company, and a lot of them were really surprised. You know what you know, what did Burnley see in this guy? He's done relatively well at Anderlecht. You know, he got him back into Europe after a you know very rare spell out but hadn't really pulled any trees up with you know one of the you know the grand old names of Belgian football and uh, it was uh, yeah it was if, if, if people remember back I mean it, it was like a sort of a you know a mutual parting of ways between company and Anderlecht they didn't really uh, you know <laughs> make any real efforts to keep hold of him and, and this that and the other and uh, obviously he ended up at Burnley and uh, we were just from 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 his first words from the video the club put out and then the press conference, I think everyone thought, well, I mean, he's, he's blatantly obvious from his time at City. He's a leader of men. This guy, he's a winner. Uh, but uh, certainly from from the press and fans' perspective, we only saw one friendly uh, at Shrewsbury, which was you know the football was you know was just tidy enough, but you know there was no uh, you know no, I think uh, Peacock Farrell played one half uh, and there was no McNeil and no Cornet and we were wondering how the Scott squad was going to shape, shape up and uh, I, have to, I have to admit I thought I would snap your hands off at top 10 at that point in time but you know say from, from day one at Huddersfield where it seemingly just clicked it's just been staggering since it has, yeah. I had a similar conversation with a Belgian journalist when we appointed him. He was like, oh, no, what have you done? Like, you know, he, he was very negative about his time at Anderlecht and said, oh, he's, 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 he's egotistical, his team underachieved, Anderlecht fans are glad to see the back of him. And he, he was pretty pretty negative and it looks pretty ridiculous now after what, what, we've, what we've seen. I mean, Andrew, like, right, right at the start of the campaign, you're right, there was that friendly. And I think there were some video clips came out of us getting absolutely hammered by Newcastle in some friendly while we were at the training camp. Um, what, were, what were your expectations like? Did you, did you feel that promotion was realistic? No, we were, we were just saying off, uh, kind of before we started recording, that 
I, I, same as Chris, I'd have 10 top 10. Um, I, I think he, he was somebody I, I tweeted saying, you know, Pace should go and get Vincent Company. This was before he'd left Anderlecht. I'd initially gone Chris Wilder. And that would have, you know, that ate, that tweet would have aged as, as well as, you know, milk. Um, when you look at the kind of jobs Wilder's had this season, etc. But I think there's, you know, Chris touched on it, didn't he? He's, he's just a born winner. And there's that clip of him in the the dressing room at Anderlecht where he he just is just going off of him. But it's in such a controlled way. It's not the, you know, um, Neil Warnock when he was um, Sheffield United manager or just Phil manager going off at them. You know, he's just He's a he's a winner, and I think he surrounds himself with winners. And yeah, I couldn't. Nobody could foresee it. Nobody's got a crystal ball. And and as Chris said, you look at that line up at Shrewsbury, and you think, oh gosh, this could be a tough one. Um, and to to get it, the style from day one at Huddersfield, I remember being in the fan zone watching that with mate, and we were just like, right, what has somebody done with Burnley? Because this is not what we're used to. And it's just that I think going next season, it's not the attitude of you know, survival is the first thing. Because, you know, how depressing must it be to go into work thinking, you know, survival is the first thing. You know, I think he, he wants to make a splash in the Premier League and, you know, it, it's not going to be as plain sailing as, as it has been this year, I'm sure. But, um, but yeah, I'd, I'd, same as Chris, I'd have 10 top 10, absolutely. Justin, massively uh, respected person in Manchester, as you know, Vincent Company did a lot of work with, you know, housing charities and, and all kinds of things as well as obviously being the skipper of the team. So you working in Manchester would have been well aware of company's reputation. But given the sort of Burnley's history with sort of big names in the past, you know, the Martin Book and Chris Waddle experiences and stuff, what, what were your expectations like when he came through the door? To be honest, I had zero expectations. And I think that's what was most exciting about the whole thing. You had absolutely no clue what was going to happen. Um, it could have gone either way and anything in between. But I, I tell you what, as soon as company's name was mentioned in connection with the job, I became more excited and engaged than I'd been almost at any time during the sort of dodgeball era because you knew that it wasn't going to be a case of trying to grind out results. You knew that something interesting was going to happen. Now, it, I, 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 I would have been less than, than I was by what actually happened, but... I think it's that element of the unexpected that really got everybody excited about it at the start of the season, that it wasn't just going to be that sort of dull grind that we'd seen over the last few years. Yeah, it was funny when the players started coming in because obviously very different type of signings from, from what Dyche had, had, had been traditionally looked for. Uh, Burnley fans get excited by foreign players, probably less so now after this season, but... There was, you know, when Corney signed in the relegation season, Burnley fans were excited just to have a foreign player who had a bit of flair about him. And then all of these people came through the door. But none of us really knew anything about him at all, did we? I mean, Vitinho was like the, the excitement around Vitinho, which probably he hasn't lived up to really, has he? But but the fact that Brazilian was playing for Burnley seemed to get people really excited. Woody, when, when you saw all these players arriving from Belgium, did you think, oh, looks like we've got a cracking team or... Or did you think, like, I don't know, I don't know who these lads are? Yeah, we didn't have a clue, did we? We just knew that we'd kind of gone from Brexit Burnley to this old diverse global, you know, entity. And it was it was quite astonishing, to be fair. But it was just, like, exciting seeing everybody coming in and seeing what they'd be able to do and all this kind of business. And to be fair, pretty much all have been, all have been borderline magnificent, haven't they? 
you know, it's been great. It's been a great thing to watch. It has, yeah. I mean, that Chris, you were saying about that Huddersfield game. I think everyone was like, my goodness, you know, looking at possession stats for the first time and not, not sort of <laughs> sniggering to ourselves about how we managed to get a point out of a game where we had 21%, which was what, what we were sort of used to. But but it was, and then there were there were a lot of sort of games that we, we drew that we might have won, and it seemed a bit frustrating. And, and you started to think, you know, is it is it, how long is it going to take to to settle in? And it was pretty fast. When did you start to think like, oh, this is this is going in a very good direction? Yeah, it's interesting. I said, look at that first game, and I, I remember tweeting from Huddersfield. I just said like, Burnley fans, you're going to enjoy watching this fella, Josh Cullen. He was just. A metronome. Everything went through him. His distribution was like you know ninety nine point nine percent perfect, and uh, and this that and the other. He, he he was the heartbeat of everything. Like like the the lad, the, you know the, the press lads in Belgium had suggested he would be. But uh, yeah, he said, I remember sp- sort of speaking to company, and he was sort of saying, "But we we need to we have to earn teams' respect." But they they had it from the very start. You were getting. You know, like Luton coming to Burnley, you were a playoff team. You got Hull City, you had a, a superb start. And everyone was sat back, 10 men behind the ball. And you thought, well, we don't know what we're getting and we're Burnley supporters. And how can you know what you're getting? You just, it's just so unpredictable. But everyone was like, had this fear factor. But it was it was my last game, Wigan, Wigan away, where they, they, they took a, a poor Wigan side, but they, they took them to the cleaners. And... Uh, I was speaking to one of my colleagues, Paul Kendrick, at uh, the Wigan Post, and he said, champions. And, uh, yeah, I respect what Kendo has to say, and I thought, yeah, yeah, I like the sound of that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it did feel like that at the start, like teams were, were almost anticipating us being better than we actually were at that time, didn't it? It felt like they almost expected us to be Manchester City in some way, and, and we weren't. We were, we were playing quite slow possession football early on in the season, and then it did pick up. I mean, company has highlighted that Sunderland game as being the turning point, and a couple of the players have said that as well. Ashley Barnes referred to that game um, as being as being a turning point for him personally. But I think that that did seem like a big moment. Woody, when did you start to watching it on telly on a Saturday morning? It's quite a different experience uh, yeah. than, than being at Turf Moor, as I know very well. Um, yeah. When did you start to think like, oh, this 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 is this is the real deal? It, yeah, def, definitely Sunderland. Obviously, everything beforehand, you'd seen all these glimmers. We were either exceptional or we looked a little bit like kind of fragile and a little bit brittle. Then all of a sudden, it felt like hopping back to the fourth division championship season, like when we beat Mansfield at home 3 2, and you saw that turnaround with a side back then, it very much felt like that. It felt like a defining result because obviously, 2 0 down you go and you spank them ridiculously. Or two, and you just knew that there was something there that they could brush that sides, you know, you know, apart. It was, yeah, it was a, it was a fabulous, it was a fabulous thing to see that. And from there on, we, you just knew, you just knew. Yeah, I, th- I think that's quite on brand for this podcast as well, referencing back to a Mansfield Town game. Yeah, but <laughs> it's, uh, <laughs> it's uh, Greavesy. I mean, you you watched a lot of those games early on in the season, and and I know you were at the turf for quite a lot of them. What what, what was you? Did, did you have any fears that this could go pear-shaped? Um, they were, I mean, I remember watching, I remember the Blackburn, I think, what, we were 3-1 up and then we just kind of collapsed to a certain extent when I think um, I think they brought Gary Medine on and it just kind of, 
it all went a bit pear shit. I didn't think it, I didn't think it had gone horribly wrong, but it was, it, it, it seemed to be kind of, you know, we weren't learning as lessons, you know, and, and, you know, hindsight's brilliant when you look at kind of, you know, you can say, I didn't think anything was going to go horribly wrong, but you just kind of saw, our teams start to suss us out, but Sunderland away, I'll tell you what, this new documentary, I hope there's footage from that, from the dressing room at half time at Sunderland, because it sounds like it was similar to the Belgian documentary, which he had at Andalette, where he just tears into the players. I mean, Barnes said he thought he was finished as a Burnley player. I, I, I felt the same. I was, you know, sat at home watching that thinking, I, I can't see Ashley Barnes ever pulling a claret and blue shirt on again here. He, he was dreadful that day. Um, but yeah, I think it's just, I, I think Sunderland is that turning point. You, you know, you look at it. And then the other turning point, I think he's Sheffield United away. Because it was just then that you, you know, you kind of went, we need a reaction. A, we've got Rovers next week. And B, you know, the goalkeeper's not strong enough and the centre-halves aren't strong enough. And Sheffield United are a good side, but I don't think they were, you know, that second half, all they did is they just sat on top of us. And I thought, well, the clubs had used that as a blueprint. And, of course, Rovers come to the turf and, you know, deck chairs out. No, Bob, I mean, the midfield for Rovers was non-existent that day. Um, set pieces, they were they were dreadful. And if you think about how, you know, you talk about sliding doors moments, things like that. I think Rovers could have gone top or opened up a gap to us at the top going into the World Cup break. And you just wonder how things would have been different. But I think what you get with company is you get that park it, it's a bad, you know, there's a clip on the the video of um, uh, the clip on the trailer of the documentary where he says, you know, you've been in, you've been in everything together, blah, blah, blah. We stay together. And I, I wonder whether that's from Sunderland. I wonder whether that's from, from Sheffield United away, but I think that will, this documentary will give us a bit of his mentality. And I think it'd be really fascinating to see where did he see the turning point? And I think he probably sees the turning point as, as Sunderland. And then again, another reset when we get smashed by Sheffield United. Yeah, it did seem a bit fragile, didn't it? At times, you know, the team scoring goals from corners, and we didn't we didn't look strong in the which we got so used to, haven't we? With like yeah. Tarkovsky, me, and Nick Pope defending corners, um, and it did feel. I wonder if that actually affected it and made us feel it was worse than it was. And there was a whole there was a whole Murich debate as well, wasn't there? I mean, you know, Burnley fans, a lot of them. Was it the Blackpool game? I think it was, wasn't yeah. it? Where he. He had a bit of a mess up, and it seemed like the fans were like really starting to get edgy and about that. Who wants to talk about Murich? Oh, Sam. Yeah, I'm happy. I mean, it's, I, I go back to the remember the cup game at Manchester City. You know, not not that the result would have been any different, but uh, you know, Peacock Farrell. I mean, I, I was speaking to Billy Mercer uh, in the summer. And he 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 likes Peacock Farrell. He's obviously worked with him, uh, you know, a couple of years and. He, he felt he was as good with his feet as Murich. Uh, and he's, he's, he is decent, Peacock Farrell, but Murich, it's like having Glenn Hoddle in goal. It's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. He's, you know, his range of pass and everything. He's, I mean, the, the, the nutmegs last week against Cardiff, and he's, you know, he's on six yards. It's just unbelievable to have the confidence and the character to do that. And he's, he's also sort of... Uh, you know, he's, he's far more solid at coming claiming, you know, cross balls and things like that. Because he's a big unit, you know. He's got to be able to utilise that. And uh, potentially, I mean, he, 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 well, he could be anything, Murich. But, uh, I mean, he's not resting 
Vinny. I mean, he's he's looking at. Uh, I believe he's looking at the lad at, Bol- at Bolton yesterday is on loan from City, uh, Trafford, and he's. Uh, you know, you won't be surprised if he. Uh, you know, there's been there's been uh, you know links with the the lad at Anderlecht that to, you know they couldn't quite agree a fee with last summer. So you know whether that's his backup to Murich, a, a, a serious competition, but uh, he's been. Uh, He's been fabulous, and I think you know you can you can sort of you appreciate that within the ground. There's no murmurings. There's no uh, you know no sense of uh, you know frustration or fragility. They're convinced in him now. I think. I think people forget as well that we signed another goalkeeper in the summer from Paris Saint Germain, didn't we? The Italian uh, Denis Frankie, and I don't think has he has he even been on the bench because. Uh, Couple of Casper. times, I mean, yeah. Young Casper's been there as well, but uh, yeah, he was very much again, you know, one one for the future, I think. But uh, I'd say if uh, if he bolsters it, I can see Peacock Farrell. It, it, Northern Ireland's number one in his regular football, but uh, you know, see that the sort of caliber of competition Murich has. Yeah, I mean, let's going back just before we sort of wrap up, looking back on this on this season. Can you pick out everybody? Go around your your personal highlight of, of the season, the the moment or the 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 incident that summed it up, or that that really you'll remember this uh, season for. Oh, let's start with uh, Justin. Okay, so I'm going to go some, for something a bit unusual. My my highlight of the season was the last minute equaliser against Watford, because it was like a genuinely gleeful, proper football moment. You know, we've had this. With not a very good game, we've gone a goal behind, probably a little bit against the run of play, and we've been trying to grind it out. And then with almost the last uh, kick of the game, Obafemi gets one in at the far post, and it just like it was one of those moments that like the, the entire previous ninety minutes was completely wiped out. And I just thought like there were, I've been to so many games this season. I don't know what everybody else thinks that, that have been almost too easy you know we've been three and up at half time and it's been there's been no yeah. jeopardy there's been no sort of chance that the opposition is even going to get a shot on goal never mind you know to try and get back into it and uh, i mean i i'm not gonna, i'm not complaining about that of course we're so much better than everybody else this season and I'd, I'd obviously i'd take that i'd take winning every game easily next season but it just seemed like one of those genuine moments where you know, a goal can right so many wrongs, and and in that moment, it you know it was it just seemed like a proper gleeful celebration. You know, you need those in a promotion campaign, don't you? You need those little moments like yeah, we you had. Do. Uh, was it Michael Keane against Middlesbrough? Was it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, that, that it had been a horrible niggly game that as well, and it was just yeah, because obviously you failed to beat Watford at, at their place, and you you know it was a. Uh, yeah, it was a very scrappy, horrible game, and it just yeah, it was just great to nick that, wasn't it? Yeah, it was almost more satisfying than than beating somebody three nil. Oddly, I don't know why that is. Woody, what's your personal highlight? Besides, like Chris mentioned, like Murich's, you know, drag backs, cross turns, nutmegs, <laughs> etc. Was that? I forget, forget, forgot who against, but I remember like. Taylor Howard Bellis getting injured. And because so much kind of went through him and he was like a little bit of a Cuban, wasn't he? I was a little bit nervous about, oh, blooming up. We've got to, like, somewhere we've got to, like, you know, reacclimatize some centre halves. And Ekdal came in. And I forgot that game. But 
was that little slide rule pass. We went on like a, a lovely little passing move and he brought it forward yeah. a little bit and a lovely little yeah. side rule pass to like Good Monson and Connor Roberts uh, just tapped it in. And it just seemed like the beautiful, perfect Burnley goal. And all of a sudden we clicked again with a different centre-half pair. And it just seemed from there on in, whatever we did, however we like worked the team out, you know, it always seemed to click. And you could tell it was it was more than just a summer players. There was a you know, assist in there. And and that that was nice for me. No, I remember that game. I remember that moment. It's, it's funny, like chatting. I watching watching the games uh, on TV over here. So I, I, me and me and Woody chat our way through the game. I know exactly what Justin's meaning about that lack of tension yeah. sometimes, though, because there's been times when we've gone like, you know, we're one nil down after 75 minutes. Oh, it'll be great. We win it. And I've never had that as a Burnley fan. Never had that <laughs> feeling that like we will just turn it around. Chris, what was what was your personal highlight moment? Aside from the obvious. Uh... You know, Barnes knocking Kaminsky into next week and putting it ahead of you know, Benson's, <laughs> Benson's winner and this, that and the other. Uh, I was I was in the Jimmy Mack stand for the uh, the West Brom game. And, and it was one of those, I think everyone thought, well, West Brom were clicking into gear. Uh, and everyone thought, this is going to be a real stern, you know, stern test. And, you know, they scored a bit of a soft goal early, early on. And... Uh, Again, just totally related to. I, I, I was, I was, uh, I, I was, I was on with a Burnley fan I met on Twitter. We just sort of, you know, he'd been saying to me for a long time, "Come on a game with me." So I just did, and uh, he was saying, "It's not going to happen. It's not." I said, "It's just calm down." I said, "You know, we'll, we'll, we'll still win this. We'll still win this." And then obviously Teller equalised, and then you know, sort of three minutes from time, you get that, you know, the free kick on the edge of the area, and you just think. Scott Twine's had such a, a hideous time of things with uh, with injury and what have you, and you know this is your moment, son. And uh, he took it and some, and uh, that was just a real, you know, he slid to the corner on his knees, and uh, that was just a fabulous moment. Greavesy, have you uh, had a moment this season? Yeah, it, for me, I'm a bit like uh, a bit like uh, Justin in terms of that. I, I do like a bit of a jeopardy, and it were it were rather at home for me. I just. My favourite sound in the whole world is the kind of millisecond of silence before the turf kind of erupts when we hit the back of a net. And when uh, Davis Alogu, I can never pronounce that name, so apologies to him. <laughs> when he got, you know, we, we were going into injury. Dave, time, I think he's called Dave, isn't he? Isn't that Dave. <laughs> when he slid in, it was just. I mean, the rush of blood, I could hear, you know, it feels really weird, but you can hear, like, the rush of blood in your ears. And it was just incredible. And it's, I've got goosebumps just talking about it, actually. But when <laughs> Benson scored to draw his level, and then when we snatched that winner after all their time waste and things like that, it, you know, finally you see a, line, uh, a referee add on a ridiculous amount of injury time because they'd, they'd been winding down the clock and, you know, and, you know, not quite to QPR levels, but... Um, and it was just that moment for me was just like, and that's when you, I just thought we were invincible. Just like you could be, you could be down going into injury time, we're still going to get something. But at that moment, you were a bit like, we can't get beat at home to Rotherham. This is ridiculous. Um, which sounds quite arrogant, really. And I've nothing against Rotherham, but but yeah, that for me was just yeah, my moment was just yeah, fantastic. Yeah, I think I'm, I'm going to slightly cheat and, and, and not a moment, but I think when I look, not a single moment, but I think when I look back on this season, the thing that will stick in my mind in, uh, if I'm still around in 20 years' time, will be 
just those four Benson goals in successive games, you know, <laughs> I mean, absolutely ridiculous goals. And it reminded me of a little bit of uh, Aaron Robin when he played for Holland. And I remember covering a game with a, a, a journalist at Reuters who was more of a rugby reporter. And he kept saying, he's going to cut in onto his left foot. Why don't they know? Why don't they stop him? He's obviously <laughs> going to come in, cut in and curl it in corner. And Robin used to do that all the time. And it was the same with Benson. You're thinking, they've seen him do this now. He's done it for three straight games. They're not going to let him come inside on his left foot, but he's a good player. It's not just about, it just shows it's not just about knowing what the opposition might do and having a game plan. Actually executing things on that football field isn't that easy. And they knew he was going to do that and they still couldn't stop him. So I, I think when I look back on this season, it'll be those balls flying across goals <laughs> and, uh, and Phil Bird getting rather uh, excited about it all. Bless him. <laughs> Yeah. Um, his, his agent had said he, he said he's he's got a bit of Gareth Bale in him. That's you know that that's where it comes into it, its own, isn't it? Really, but uh, it's uh, I can, do you, can you remember I said the game we lost at Black Coil in the Premier League uh, at, at Ewood Park, and uh, Allardyce had told the fullback, the uh, Danish lad at fullback, said don't let Robbie Blake cut in onto his right foot. And then he walloped that. You, you, you can tell people all, all you like, but some some players you just can't stop. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. No, it's uh, that's what what makes it a, an exciting game to watch, isn't it? And Benson's been really exciting for me. And Zarori, those to have to have good wingers. I often think like back to my my dad, like who's not around anymore. But what would he think? And Justin and uh, Woody used to go on games with my, me and my dad. And I would often think, what what would he make of this season watching watching this kind of football, which I think he would have absolutely loved. But he loved nothing more than seeing a winger go at people, take yeah. them on, beat them, whipping across or get a shot in. And, and that's been, you know, for all the Manchester City stuff and the close possession stuff, the exciting stuff that gets you off your feet is, is the wingers. And there's just a buzz every time uh, Benson or Zorori get the ball. Um, and I've also really enjoyed, and just I think this perhaps the last topic on this season, is is the old guard. You know, with so much excitement about about the new players who came in and, and how well they did. But for me, I, I really enjoyed seeing Goodmanson reborn, playing in a number ten role, or sometimes going back out a wide. But a player who'd looked finished under Dash, he looked like you know, if we'd if we'd have farmed him out to somewhere. Um, I don't think anyone would have would have thought it was unreasonable. He, he looked injury prone, shorter confidence, and everything. And suddenly he looks he's looked class this season. I mean, and a few of those old guard, Chris, they've they've really sort of embraced what company did, haven't they? Yeah, they've all contributed. I think if you remember, if you look back at saying Burnley's last title win at this level and sealing the. Uh... The title at Charlton, and he played in that team with with Nick Pope and uh, Luckman, uh, and I can remember sort of watching that game and thinking, yeah, I quite like the look of this uh, this Goodmanson fella because he was he was clever, you know, you know, one of those players that can you know thread a ball through the eye of a needle sort of thing, and uh, he's he's never been blessed with pace, uh, but I think just sort of that Icelandic thing from you know from the from the, the you know the good side that they had at the Euros that beat us and uh, and got to a World Cup. They just thought he's like you know he, he, he's diligent. He'll graft. So you know, just put him out on that right hand side or left hand side, and he'll do a job. Up, down, up, down. But I think you know what 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 Sean never did was sort of utilize that uh, you know that ability to play in that number ten spot and pick a pass, uh, and obviously getting getting closer to goal to to unleash that that left foot, which 
like a rocket. But uh, no, see, they're all. I mean, it's a shame Jay Jay's had his injuries, but Jay. I mean, to, to hit double figures in a season that's been decimated by injury, fabulous. And, uh, you know, really, 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 just to see what it meant to him at Ewood, you know, grabbing the shirt and, you know, with the badge. And uh, he just delighted in that. It was brilliant. Corky's been outstanding. As Corky's just a sensational professional and, a, you know, a, a sensational human being. And, uh, yeah, Barnsley, I say nobody can say enough about Barnsley. He just... Uh, gets written off time and time and time again and comes up with the goods. And uh, I think, for, say for a guy, I think I reeled off, uh, you know, strikers who have fewer Premier League goals than him. I think people will look back in, in years to come and think, look, look at that record. And, you know, never never prolific. But, you know, when in his prime, a, you know, a double, a double uh, you know, Double figures, man, in the Premier League, which is terrific for, especially for a club Burnley side. And uh, yeah, a Charlie Taylor as well, who just got on with things and played where he was told, when he was told. And uh, I fear for his uh, his future at Burnley, but uh, been a terrific, uh, you know, terrific servant. Yeah, we're going to do Ashley Barnes later on, but now you brought it up, why don't why don't we just have a few minutes about Ashley Barnes because. I, I think you know, and we can we can pay tributes to him. I think it's been fantastic. His attitude, he's, he's been he's been a brilliant servant. I'll, I'll you know I could repeat all the tributes that have been made over the last week or so. I do wonder though, wouldn't you have given him a one year contract going into the Premier League, even if you're just using him off the bench for twenty minutes? Teams don't like playing against him. Defenders don't like defending against him. Uh, what do you think, uh, Justin? Yeah, I think that's probably true, but I think we're probably doing him a bit of a favour by letting him go now when he's still, you know, going to be able to command a decent a decent price with a with a longer contract, and I think he he deserves that rather than maybe playing a bit part role for us next season. You you don't know what the transfer plans are like, whether you know whether whether we're going to get another striker in or whether Vegos going to come back or all that sort of stuff, but. He's clearly he's clearly not going to be our first choice striker, and I just think at his age, he, this is probably going to be the last big contract he's going to get. So, uh, you know, I think I think that's a just reward for the uh, for the sort of loyalty and the contribution he's made at Turf Moor over these last ten years. Woody, I mean, why do you think Burnley fans have this strong affection for Barnes? Because you know his, his record is decent, as Chris said, he's, and he's scored some great goals, and he's been a good servant and everything. But there's something else there, isn't there? I mean, to me, it feels like there's just a little bit of the reason why we liked Andy Wharton so much. You know, it's, it's, <laughs> there's a, it's it's that you know shithousery, as people exactly. call it these days. You know, <laughs> exactly. but what 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 do, what do you what are your feelings about him leaving the club? Well, you summed it up there. He's like a little bit of a shithouse, isn't it? He's still a little, he's, he's enough, he's enough Burnley. But I think the fact that the way he kind of bought into the project and worked his nuts off, you know, to transfer yeah, himself cool. from this like lumbering dashboard geezer who could hardly trap anything at the beginning of the season to almost playing like a false nine by the end of it was, you know, testimony to him by all it. But to, to Justin's point, you know, I think it's probably fair to let him get as much as he possibly can, you know, because he's going to do a fantastic job for somebody in the championship. As he's just as he's just proven, you know. But I think it's going to be like a massive hole, isn't it, in that in that dressing room? You know, he's obviously loved by everybody. There's nobody that particularly dislikes him, and he's and he's and he, he's obviously a, a fulcrum around what a lot of people um, like about within that changing room and Burnley in general. But I think it's probably right to let him go overall. 
I mean, that's just been what's perfect about this season. I think that those old guard and and Barnes in particular still being a part of it. So you can play all this wonderful uh, passing and movement football, attractive football, massive amounts of possession, and then you still knock opposition keeper into back at net. He's backing <laughs> into people. He's elbowing and, and, and everything else. Uh, Greavesy, what's your thoughts? Would you giving him a one year deal? I'm, I agree with I agree with both Woody and, and Justin there. I think. I personally wouldn't have given him a one-year deal because I think I think what we've suffered from in the past, and I think we suffer from it sometimes as Burnley fans, is, is nostalgia and we're not ruthless enough when you know we need to move on. You know, we, we've we've done it several times and several managers have done it. It's not just kind of one manager, but we've we've kind of reverted to type. So I wouldn't have done, but I think Woody touched on the point that kind of you know he came in, he bought into company system. For a player of his age, that is such a difficult thing to do to kind of almost re relearn how to be a footballer in a completely different system. And I think Dyche got the best of him, um, best out of him in the system that that Sean played. And you know, he, brilliant servants and a really good. You know, you think about Chelsea away, and you think about kind of games where you know that little bit of needle has, has got us points and has got us into games that we perhaps weren't getting into you know some brilliant goals in there as well and he, you know his goal uh, against Cardiff was was kind of fitting really in terms of it was you know a bit of a a kind of a, a misjudged clearance and he, he just you know put his laces through it but it was you know there's a bit of skill to it as well and and um Somebody was saying, um, I can't remember who it was. Somebody was telling me that they were they were talking to Tom Eaton and they said, "Who's the best footballer at the club?" They said, "Go back for you." And they said, "He said one hundred percent Ashley Barnes. You know, technically the best footballer um, in terms of his, his technique, in terms of his, his you know goal scoring in training and things like that." He said, "Yeah, you'd, you'd have Barnes in any team. Barnes is, you know." And don't forget, I think under Conte, Chelsea were linked with him. Now I don't know how serious that link was, but. You know, it is almost that kind of Veghorst, you know, United kind of scenario. I think Chelsea were, you know, desperate for a, a focal point up front. But, you know, all the things are pointing towards a move to Norwich. And I think, you know, I, I expect Norwich will be there or thereabouts next season. And, you know, I, I hope Ash can go and play a big part in that and, and, you know, and perhaps get himself a one final swan song for another team in the Premier League. But, but no, I, I don't think I'd give him another year. I think, I think you know... Um, we are clearly moving on from, from that and, you know, company will have his own ideas. So, um, you know, from a nostalgic point of view, yeah, it sounds good. But from a kind of ruthless point of view, which we've not perhaps been in the past, I think I think the club's probably and Vincent's done the right thing for me. Right, I'm outvoted on that one. I'd have given it a year. I'd have given it a year. But what I do think is now going to happen is he's going to become one of the, that elite group of Burnley players who people say has never been replaced. You know, John Deere, we never replaced John Deere. <laughs> Kevin, Kevin Ball. McGreal. Sorry? <laughs> Kevin Ball. Kevin Ball was one, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So whoever he signs think, for, I just hope he doesn't end up coming back to Turf Moor next season because I'd hate yeah. to play against him. Yeah. You would. But this yeah, is, people, yeah. for, people forget he played for, it's he's talking about his technical ability. He played for. Yeah. Gus Poyer's Brighton and Oscar Garcia, you know, he's out of you know La Masia and uh, he played on the left hand side of a three and you know, we we all saw how uh, you know 
he did have this uh, th- th- this temper to him, this uh, this edge to him, you know, throttling Chris McCann and getting sent off down there, and uh, and what have you. And he, 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 the incident with the referee at Bolton, and he uh, not long before he signed for for Burnley. So we we knew he had that edge, but uh, yeah, I think see, people don't do his technical ability enough credit. But uh, and it's it's another. He's yeah, you know, not not to call him a big earner because in the grand scheme of things, in the grand scheme of football, he'll not be a mega earner. But in, in Burnley terms, he'll be up there with the biggest and it's one of those wages off in, in, at a time when you, you're remodelling with you know young, younger players on the, you know probably a quarter of what he's on Moving on then from, from last season well the last thing of last season really was the celebrations in Burnley obviously me and Woody over here could only watch it on social media clips and YouTube videos and Radio Lancashire did a pretty good job of putting up the interviews and so on from the town hall but Anyone get down there for the open top bus? Not on Tuesday. I was there on Monday for the uh, for the Cardiff game, which uh, thoroughly thoroughly enjoyed in the cricket field. And this time, with you know, terrific atmosphere, singing for ninety minutes, and uh, just uh, just every everyone sort of like in, in disbelief. Really, a couple of people sort of. Clocked me and recognised me, and the, you know, handshakes and high fives. And uh, you're a celebrity. You know, you're a Burnley celebrity. Well, I'm, I'm sure. I'm sure there's somebody who's <laughs> like to have a you know a word, a, you know, a word to the wise. But uh, no, it, it, it's really pleasant experience, and uh, everyone sort of hugging and kissing when the when when the goals went in and things. And uh, it's uh, yeah, just beyond belief, isn't it? I'm really, I'd love to have been there Tuesday, but the young lads. Uh, football training Tuesday night but uh, it looked like I've seen the uh, the open top parades for you know for the last sort of 25 years after promotions and I, I was lucky enough to be on the bus in uh, 2000 and 2009 and uh, it is jaw-dropping when you see the streets full like that and it looks fuller still and it, it looked like the, the one that so Vin, Vinny saying uh, it, you know even for like cities parades it wasn't you know it didn't feel as as as, as crazy <laughs> as Burnley's did and it, it almost looked like you remember the United one after the treble on Dean's game it, it looked mm. as packed as that to me and it, it, I don't know just phenomenal phenomenal it just shows it you did, the, the outpouring packed. yeah the it outpouring did. of love remarkable yeah, it looked, it looked brilliant. Uh, I wish I could have been there. It's one of those moments where you, when you live abroad and you think, I wish I could just press that Star Trek button and transport myself <laughs> back for, for an hour down there. But it looked it looked fantastic. The only thing, not to inject, yes, to inject a degree of cynicism and negativity <laughs> into things. Um, we're going to talk about J.J. Watt in the next, next episode, I think, and everything that's going on with him and America and everything, because it's a good one for us to talk about being a, a transatlantic Clarets podcast. But just, I don't know, for me, seeing him on top of the bus with the trophy, seeing him on the field with the trophy, and I know he did come out and sort of say in, a, in an interview with, I think it was The Athletic, he said, he said, oh, I didn't really want to do that. I wasn't really part of it. I didn't think it was it was, it was right, but Alan Pace persuaded me. And then you look at the photos and, he, you know, like you were saying, Chris, off air, you know, he didn't, he didn't look like he needed that much persuading. Was it, was it a bit of a John Terry moment, Woody? Uh, yeah, I can see both sides of this. From like you know, the the Burnley side of the pond, it's a little bit cringe, isn't it? You know, but from like this side of the pond, seeing him on like morning shows beforehand on CNBC, etc., you know, chatting to the likes of Jim Cramer, who's been a bit of a dick about you know 
English football, <laughs> soccer, and going through that time old boring argument. He spoke very well to it, you know, and I think the idea of having him on that bus and the the, the folks that I know over, over here, the Americans that like soccer, you know, they, they glaze over a little bit when they hear about Bell. The only thing that they've seen is like a little bit of dashboard, but don't know a lot. But when, when I've mentioned J.J. Watt, their ears prick up a little bit. It's suddenly they have a different, you know, a different take on it. And they're going, oh, really? Because J.J. Watt is a big deal in American sports. So with that, from a branding perspective, you know, if that's how it's being used and it seems like that's how it's being used, then it makes a lot of sense. But from like a, uh, an English Burnley perspective, it all looks a bit naff, doesn't it? But um, I don't... I don't think it all looks naff. I think, you know, we'll get into it all, all, all next time about, about the whole J.J. Watt and the branding in America and everything. I just, just that particular thing of him holding the trophy up, you know, mm. I mean... Yeah, so, um, yeah, I meant that being a little bit naff. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyone else have any thoughts on that? Well, that being unreasonable? I, I found it a bit irritating, I must admit. I, I have to admit, I know absolutely nothing about American football and I had absolutely no idea who he was. I'd never even heard of him. So when he starts popping up on my Instagram feed, holding the trophy wearing his Burnley tracksuit, I'm sort of thinking, who is this guy? Why is he joining the party now? Obviously, I've looked into it a little bit and I understand what's going on there. They are trying to generate some content that he's able to share so that his four and a half million followers in America can see what Burnley's all about. And, you know, if that's if that's what his job is, then you, you've got to say, well, fair enough, because in the long run, that's going to be a benefit to the club as a whole, isn't it? It is, yeah. yeah. I do wonder what people would think if it was the other way around. You know, and Ashley Barnes was holding up the football. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I don't want to, to criticise him because I think he's, he's a big deal over here, a huge big deal. And I, I cover the NFL and I know how big he is. And I wrote stories about him when he retired and everything. And uh, and I think it's I think it's brilliant. I think it's great. But um, I just thought that one, you know, maybe Alan Pace. Yeah, that wasn't the best bit of advice, perhaps. But <laughs> no, and, and also he, he also he suddenly appeared, didn't he? From almost from nowhere, as far as I could see, they announced well, the video. That... Yeah, the video the... was done at the at the Wigan game, wasn't it? So it's obviously with a view to winning promotion to the Premier League. You know, yeah. what would this deal have happened if they'd have stayed down? You know, for example. Mm. That's a good question, but you know, the, as soon as promotion was assured, he was everywhere all of a sudden. Uh, and you know, there are a few Burnley fans who would like to have got their hands on that trophy. Mm. I, I like yeah. that he's been, you know, he's obviously been down the culverts and he's been in the the, the diets and he's, you know, drinking his Guinness and his missus is, you know, obviously going to boost the, you know, the, the the women's side of things. And uh, it's, but where's Malcolm Jenkins in all this? <laughs> <It's>, uh, <laughs> You know, obviously, you know, you know, not as big a name in American football, but you know, he's a you know, sort of small, you know, small investor, and he's, I don't know, it just, we saw him all arrive here with, with a claret suit on, and then absolutely zero since. Yeah, yeah, mystery man. Yeah, we'll get on to mystery men in a bit uh, of a, of the football variety, but um, so on Alan Pace, right? Let's 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 get on to, with that one. He's he's got company up to a five year, a new five year deal. Well done. I think everyone would agree that's a positive. Probably doesn't change massively the future of the club because we all know if Pep walks in two years' time, then we know where company is going to be going if he's done a good job. But it's still a positive. Brings some security. 
helps company go out and get players because they know he's going to be there. There have been rumours about Spurs and Chelsea and so on, so all good. Alan Pace, when he came in, and, and I had a long chat with him uh, when I broke the story about him buying Burnley Football Club, uh, <laughs> and he he uh, he talks a good game, and, and then when we all the details started to come out, um, it was a bit of an awkward time for me, that really, because, you know, because I'd written that, that story and interviewed him, a lot of people around town were asking me, oh, is he all right? Or, you know, people were nervous and sceptical, you know, outsider coming in and buying the club. Is he all right? Is, is he legit? Is he, is he right or is he a wrong one? You know, and in those kind. And I said, oh, I can't vouch for him. I don't, I don't know. You know, I, I know what he's told me and I know what they've done. And then gradually it came out more and more about the debt and everything else. And then the way that, you know, the way that Daesh's departure was handled was, you know, I think, I don't think there was anything particularly wrong in getting rid of Daesh, but to do it at that stage of the season, uh, with no plan in place, you know, ending up with Michael Jackson in charge and all the rest of it. And last summer, it just seemed until company walked through the door, we're in debt, we're relegated. It's, this is thing is a disaster. Um, and now, did he know what he was doing all along? That's that's the question we've got to ask. I mean, it, it, it's going pretty well for him, you know. I mean, I, I've I've made some criticism. I'll I'll make a little mini mea culpa here. I think I think he's doing a lot better than 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 some of the skeptics uh like myself thought um let's start with greavesy what do you think about it is he does he know what he's doing i said this to you the other day didn't i i I said this to a couple of other people it's kind of surely somebody can't get that lucky on a consistent basis and it's, it's really kind of there's been very few kind of missteps now you know i as a journalist trust nobody i'm sure everybody else on his Exactly the same, and it is something that he's a bit too—I don't know what's the word I'm looking for. He's a bit too smiley, kind of sickly sweet, almost in the way he explains, you know, everything and 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 things like that. And I think Chris, you were there, were just like a mortgage for your house, just like a mortgage for your house. Yeah, Chris, you were in the college, weren't you? That that day when him and Vinny came down and did uh, did something at the college and. He was like, look, I'd much rather do an event like this or talk to people in Tesco than kind of speak through the media. And you kind of, there was you, Alex James, and I think Andy from The Athletic was there. Yep. And, a few others. and it was just a bit like, we were chatting afterwards, weren't we, with, with a couple of other people. And it was just a bit, right, I see where he's positioning himself, right, fine. And it could have gone horribly wrong. Um, I think for me, the jury's still out on the process and the way he's, he's, he's bought it and things like that, and, you know, there's all the, the accounts were late, and the, the embargo's embarrassing, and I know it's not really done anything for us, but, you know, I, I, I wondered whether, at the time, I kind of thought, well, I wonder whether we changed the auditors when we did, because there's something in the accounts that Burnley fans aren't going to be happy with, so if we delay it until after we've got promotion, then we'll all just forget about it, etc., etc. But then when the accounts came out, and I'm not an accountant, but to kind of my layman's Aye, the accounts looked all right. You know what I mean? They weren't huge amounts of money going out. You know, yeah, they were, we might pay down the, the money owed by Coldervale Holdings through, you know, future dividends, et cetera, et cetera, which means basically it's a paper exercise and the club won't get that cash back. But it is, it's a weird one. I'm, I'm kind of, I'm scratching my head constantly as to whether, you know, the plan which he said Burnley fans would be, you know, astonished and proud that this was you know, a unique way of doing you know, a takeover. 
I don't know. I mean, I think he saw my tweet saying go and get Vincent company. So, you know, I'm, I'm going to take kind of <laughs> credit for that. Um, you know, so maybe maybe it's down to me that we're Premier League next season and, and Alan Pace has got a lot to be thankful to me for. I don't know. But listen, I can't knock what, you know, the transformation on and off the pitch. Um, you know, and I, we'll talk about JJ Watt next time. But I think it's just that, you know, he didn't know JJ Watt. They got introduced to a mutual friend and it's, you know, and company speaks so highly of, of Pace. And, I'm, you know, I'm guessing he is much more in the know than any of us are in terms of the account plan and things so I don't know like I say I, I hate leverage buyouts and you know various things that have happened at the club but I think he's you know the jury's still out for me yeah I think it's fair to say he got massively lucky by appointing Vincent Company because basically yeah. they've outsourced the football side to it I, I know a story about uh, a Burnley player who moved to the area and was looking for a house and the person who was taking the, the Burnley player around the house uh, wasn't like a player liaison person from the club. It was somebody who worked for company at Man City in one of his foundation roles. So even on that level of like helping players settle in, find somewhere to live, it was company's people who were doing it. It's company's people who've been doing the transfers. And probably that's a really good model for a club that was in a total mess like Burnley were in, just outsource it to somebody who's got brilliant contacts in the game and, it, and it's paid off. But I, I shudder to think what situation this club would be in if we'd have appointed um, Chris Wilder. Yeah, and, and it goes wrong, or Nuno or someone like that on a five-year deal with loads of money and, he, and what they walked after six months. You know, it's he's got tremendous power. I mean, the company, hasn't he? I mean, if you think about that contract negotiation, it must, be, must have been one of the most one-sided negotiations in football history, really, because imagine company have, he's in that situation, he's got that power to walk away and destroy absolutely everything. So I'm sure he got a really good deal out of it. But uh, anyone else got any thoughts on uh, Alan Pace? Chris, go on. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, like, I mean, so I, 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 I've obviously I've, I've written my uh, my departure article at the time of uh, you know after those those comments in, uh, Alan Pace had made at Burnley College, and I was a bit put out because we'd been trying to talk to him for months. I mean, basically myself, uh, Alex, uh, from, uh, from the, the, you know, then of Lanks Live and Andy from The Athletic, we'd had one sit-down chat with him. And the only other time we'd spoke to him was the, uh, the, the global Zoom after the takeover that anyone in the world could latch on to. And it was, uh, we just hadn't had much, you know, we were promised. You know, with, you know, with, with, with his PR guy, uh, during the takeover process, you know, if this all goes through, this happens, you'll get looked after the locals, you'll get, you know, you'll get stuff first and this, that and the other. And it just hadn't transpired at all. It was, uh, and uh, yeah, I, I, I spoke to, I spoke to, to Sean not long after, well, it was, a, it was after a press conference that, that Vinnie had given. And uh, I told him, I said, you know where Dwight McNeil's, Dwight McNeil's off, don't you? And he says, what? I said, yeah, Dwight's off to Everton, 20 million. He, and he was, Surely they could have got more for him. Surely they should have got more for Pope. Surely they should have got more for uh, for Nathan Collins. And I, I, I just felt that they rolled over a little bit on those on those deals. Pope, uh, so, yeah. Don't tell me they couldn't have got another five million quid for Nick Pope. You know, and so on and so forth. You know, I just it was a cumulative thing, really. That I felt things aren't quite right, and I I felt. I felt company was a big name appointment to spread the brand 
globally. You know, maybe a Wayne Rooney might have been a, an alternative or something like that. Just to get a big name in and, and, and spread Burnley's name far and wide. And uh, as you say, I think, you know, fair play, you know, he's the, he's the man he appointed. But, you know, I, th- I think there is a great element to look and, you know, the spinning a few plates with, with, with the finances and uh, they look a damn sight better than anyone thought they would, but, but they, they would be. But uh, like Greaves, you were saying, you know, you know, Burn, Burn, I think Burnley's, Burnley Football Club as a company is old, still old ninety five million pounds from Coldervale Holdings. You know, is that is that you know while servicing debt, while funding a Premier League club, and while paying you know maybe American investors returns if that if that's the case. You know, it's not, you know it's going to get paid back very very slowly if at all. And uh, I don't know. It's uh, I say I'm no financial expert, but uh, it remains no. to be seen. Yeah. No, I'm not a financial expert either, but uh, I would recommend uh, people who, who who maybe use that website up the Clarets, Tony Scholes' website, the message board there. There's a guy called Chester Perry, uses the name Chester Perry, who seems to get a lot of the documents and, and, and seems to know what he's talking about um, and debates with other people who are, I think there are a bunch of accountants who support Burnley who are looking through all this stuff. Um, it's well worth going through those threads sometime. I'm not saying it's all true or, or vouching for it or anything, but there's some there's some time and effort and uh, you know sort of research going into that to try and try and get a, a bigger picture. Woody, your thoughts on Alan Pace? Any 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 strong feelings about him? It's going it's going to be interesting within a year, isn't it? You know, because obviously things aren't going to be all plain sailing. You know, within two years after that, when he goes, that's going to be the test of him, isn't it? I just found all that nonsense about dating the best-looking girl in college, etc. All that kind of business, a little bit odd, especially from a Mormon. You know, I don't think <laughs> let's, like, not, let's not go three there. Or four, three or four go. managers up his sleeve or something, I don't know. But, yeah. It's an Ian Hollowayism, wasn't it? Right? Just pluck that out of the, <laughs> exactly. Ian Holloway's book, yeah. yeah. That's the worrying thing, isn't it? It was, it was a bit weird. So what, what, what was it again? So it's like, it's like dating the prettiest girl in town yeah. and you know she's never going to marry you. Is that what it was? Yeah, some, yeah. some weird nonsense like that, yeah. yeah. Justin, what, what's your thoughts about Pace? Well, it, it's, it's almost impossible to say at this stage, isn't it? I mean, I think in general, the unease that was felt about the way the the purchase of the club was financed is probably heightened for a small sort of community-led club like Burnley that's never really had that kind of you know investment. We've 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 more or less been owned by local businessmen for as long as I can remember. Um, so so when somebody comes in and does something like this, it's very very alien to us, um, and you know we we do tend to distrust. Um, you know, financial shenanigans. Um, but I think all you can really do is is look at, at what's happened. You know, if you'd asked me what I would like to see happen next as I was leaving the game against Newcastle at the end of last season, I would more or less have written what what has actually happened. But I wouldn't yeah. believe I wouldn't have believed it possible. I wouldn't. I would have thought it was a fairy tale. Um, so you just have to judge him on what what. Is achieved, and uh, and at this point, we don't know what's going to happen in the future. That's that's why it's also exciting, isn't it? But where we are now, I mean, I don't know. I, I've not looked at the books. I'm not financial wizard, but you know, 
in terms of the football inside of the club, we're certainly in a better place now than we were when he arrived. I, I, I think you'd find it difficult to argue otherwise. So I'm just going to judge him on that and say, well, he's done a great job up till now. We've got a great opportunity to carry on this exciting journey next season. Let's see what happens. The one thing I said to people at the start, just going back to, to, to what I was saying earlier, when, when people were asking asking me what did I think of him and what did me, I said, well, he's not come here to fail, though, has he? He's not come here to leave us $200 million exactly. in debt and his reputation tattered. Yeah. Why, why would you move from New York City banking or, 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 or Utah or wherever he was and, and, and move to the Ribble Valley in order to tarnish your reputation and ruin a community football club? I mean, it just makes no sense. So I think, I think his intentions are good. I think he's, he, there's, there's a massive amount of risk in there that we've never had before. Um, but, you know, what's the worst that can happen, really? We're enjoying the ride, and the worst that could happen is, is the whole thing becomes a total mess and we end up going back down to League Two, which is where we all started off watching uh, so many games for a lot of us. Well, anyway, well so. exactly. I mean, look, you've got a. I mean, I have to say, I'm sitting on, on turf more at some games this season and I'm still hearing people shouting, get it in the box and all that sort of stuff. I, I actually, at the end of at the end of the QPR game, I actually heard some, overheard somebody behind me say, this could be the wake-up call they need. And I'm thinking, <laughs> we, we, we're, ten, we're 10 points clear at the top of the table. What, what do you want? You know, you've just got to enjoy it while it's happening. And, and I, I do sometimes feel like we've got this negative attitude to it's yeah. almost It's almost like... If we have a bit of success, there's got to be a massive failure coming along anytime that's soon. Fo- that's football, though, isn't it? You know, City, it is. Yeah, of course it is. City lose a game. It's, you know, their fans will be weeping and wailing, won't they? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, we can get... We, we, I'm sure we'll return to the, the question of the finances sometime. Hopefully not for, for a long time, because hopefully it's, it's not an issue and they're going to spend a load of money in the transfer window, which we uh, will get onto on our next episode, I think, on transfers, because we've had... a We've had a good uh, a good hour session here, uh, but to finish off, one thing we had talked about doing today is our individual awards, player of the season award, and we're going to put with that um, the Remco van der Schaaf award for the player who didn't <laughs> quite make it. Is he still at the club? Um, because we're being cynical as well. We can't just celebrate things. So, player of the season awards individually. Greavesy, who are you going with? Josh Cullen, I just, I, I absolutely adore watching Josh Cullen. It is just, it's the, you know, Frank Lampard used to do this, this scanning where there's some clips on YouTube of, you know, Frank Lampard, before he receives a ball, he's looking in several different directions. Javi did it, um, you know, good players do it. And he does that, and it's the way he drops back into you know, when our full-backs are in centre-mid, he drops back to make a back three. I just think he's, you know, Chris touched on it at the start, at start of the podcast. You know, his passing's incredible. He's brilliant in the tackle. His awareness, and he never looks like he's broken sweat. He just, you know, he glides through games in that midfield. Um, and I think he'll make that step up next year. And I think that, for me, we'll talk about transfers. I think we need a, a big, strong um, midfielder alongside him and just allow him to, to pull strings. I just think he's fantastic. Love watching him. Brilliant. Brilliant. I think a lot of people would agree with that. Justin, who, who's your player of the year? Well, I mean, I think everybody who's managed to hold down a place has been fantastic. I can't think of 
of many players who have had good runs in the side who have disappointed. But I, I think I'm going to go for Zaruri because I think he's the most exciting attacking player I've seen since uh, my hero, Leighton James, if, if we're going to take it back. But I just think when he gets on the ball, you, you, you know something's going to happen. And uh, he's so young as well, and he's got such a, such a, a, mm. a journey to go on. I, I'm looking forward to seeing him play in the Premier League. Yeah, yeah, I think he could. Be. He, he, he I think he's the real Riyad Mahrez. Riyad Mahrez reminds me of a lot. But yeah, yeah. Woody, Player of the Year. Well, besides uh, obviously Cullen, I'm, uh, I think I could go Bayer because hmm. he's such a lovely Rolls Royce footballer, isn't he? Beckham Bayer. He's exactly. He's just <laughs> he's just the embodiment of Silke. You know, <laughs> you always you always think someone's going to catch him. Nice little drag tap sideways, runs away with ball with 30 yards, perfect little pass, gorgeous to watch. You know what I mean? He's just one of those footballers you can fall in love with, you know? So, Jordan, Good shot. and the fact that he's signed as well, that'll be. <laughs> yeah, just blatantly obvious, Josh Cullen, I think from, from day one at Huddersfield, just... The, you know, the ticking heartbeat of everything good about Burnley Burnley Football Club this year. I think even when you know it was debatable whether you know people were blaming Murich, people were blaming Cullen for uh, one of the goals against Blackpool, and he, he a bit unlucky for me to give a penalty away at, at Middlesbrough. You know, the night promotion was sealed, but it doesn't seem that you know mistakes don't affect him either. He's just like a level of consistency. You, you put him out there, knowing full well that every week you've got eight out of ten minimum. Uh, he's, uh, you know, just a just a, a, pro, a pro's pro, outstanding. Yep, I don't think I'd disagree with any of those selections. I will go for Nathan Teller, though. I think uh, he's been fantastic. I think to have a striker like that who's got the pace, the finishing ability, the confidence, play alongside a striker, play down the middle, play out wide. I think I think he's been brilliant. I really hope we push the boat out to get him. I don't want to mm. see him in the championship with uh, Southampton next year or them selling him to somebody else who paid a bit more. I'd love to see him carry on with us. I think I think he was fantastic this year. Really do. Um, right. I don't think we need to. Is it, is it a bit cruel to give an award to people who... who it's a bit. It's a bit. We just won the league. We, we don't, what, it is a bit cruel. But let's just have a well, quick let's word. Anyway. Let's on, do it anyway. Let's, 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 let's be American about it yeah. and, and look on the positives. Which are the players who, who perhaps have got most to prove next year? Let's put it that way. Rather than the Remco van der Schaaf, total flop, we never saw him. How's he uh, been earning a wage approach to it? So, uh, Chris, Chris, uh, well, they've all worked I mean, out, have they? No, I mean, I say I spoke about uh, Twine earlier. He's been really, really unfortunate with uh, with injury and this, that, and the other. And when he was fit, obviously the the, the team were you know winning ten, eleven in a row, and uh, he was he was struggling to get a kick, but. He's shown enough for me and picked up, you know, little pockets of space. He's, you know, he, he could have had a bag full against Cardiff. And this technique, all this nonsense here from uh, from Pundis, uh, he's too close to the goal to score from mm. this free kick. Mm. He, well, well, it, it, it isn't. He finds a way. He's been, you know, a couple of occasions that he's he's dug out magnificent uh, set pieces. And uh, I think, you know, maybe a point to prove, but I think he'll, you know, he'll, he'll be all right. But you, you've churned and obs and. I can see Chirling off moving on. McNally, you know, you imagine Middlesbrough favourites to win that tie and he, he comes back to Burnley, but he's he's way 
his way at centre half is going to be barred, isn't it? If uh, especially if Taylor Harwood Bellis comes back, uh, Egan Riley, who we just basically haven't seen whatsoever, he gone out to to Hibs on loan, and well, as I say, I've not seen him kick a ball. I can't say I'm uh, you know an avid avid follower of uh, Hibernian, so. Uh, but uh, yeah, there's, there's a but few. But he's only twenty, quite, isn't he? Yeah. He's only twenty. Yeah, yeah. But you, you, you go, you then going up a level. If you can't get in the team in the championship, hmm. you know it's it's going to be a struggle for him at the, the higher level. I think. Lyle Foster is he in the Van der Schaaf category? Or yeah, I, I was going to say. Yes. I was going to say Lyle Foster struggled a little bit, didn't he? It never seemed quite to hit the pace required, did he? But I think. We saw enough of him doing good things to to say that you know it's not the end for him. I think I'm looking forward to seeing what he does next season. A couple of, a couple of games that he had uh, a decent time on the pitch. He showed a few nice touches and he scored a good goal, didn't he? I can't remember who it was against, but I, I think uh, I think we've seen enough to know that there's something there, and uh, it'd be interesting to see what happens with him next season. Yeah, there's going to be plenty of comings and goings anyway, that's for sure. And that will give us plenty to talk about on this podcast over the summer months as we build up for our return to the Premier League. Uh, we'll be talking next time about those transfer rumours. Eden Hazard in particular is one that's got people talking, but there's other ones that are more seem more realistic. Victor Jukeresh, perhaps. There's even been talk of James Milner. A uh, whole road of issues to talk about. Uh, next time when we come back, as we will get into the J.J. Watt stuff a little bit more, the Sky documentary, and, uh, and and plenty more to talk about over these coming months. While there's no football, there will be a podcast for you to keep in touch with everything that's going on at Burnley. I want to thank everybody for their role in this uh, debut podcast. It's been a lot of fun, and uh, can't wait to do it again. Mm-hmm.